chapter 4, verse 13. And I know some of you have been sitting, you could stand and stretch your limbs as we read the word of God. Esther chapter 4, verse 13. Esther chapter 4, verse 13. And to verse 16. And it says, Then Mordecai, we all stand together, please. Then Mordecai commanded to Esther, commanded to Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go and gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night and day. And I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go into, in unto the king, which is not according to the law. If I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. Father in heaven, we pray that you will help us to understand and apply the message of this hour. I pray, Father, that you will help me to be humble, to, to recognize that it's not about my words, it's not about my preparation, but it's about what God is doing right now. I pray, Father, Lord, that you will step in and that you will bring conviction to your house. Help us to be alert, to know what is happening, what is transpiring right before our very eyes. We pray, Lord, that you move in this place, hide me behind Calvary's cross, and that the words will go out with conviction and power. We pray in the mighty and powerful name of Yeshua, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Please be seated. Amen. We see the story of Esther, a very interesting story. As I entitled this message, An Inside Job, you will understand uh, where this came from. An inside job. Now my PowerPoint is frozen, um, but I hope that, okay, it will be on. Praise God. All right. An inside job, right? God works on the inside to do his perfect will. We're going to understand how God works. And sometimes we don't understand and fathom that God is working in your life right now. Even though things may look bad, even though your life may not be where you want to want it to be, God has a way of working that we don't know, but he works. And it is when we get to, at certain, to certain points in our life, we look back 
and we understand the reason for that sickness. We understand the reason for that stroke. We understand the reason for that cancer. We understand the reason for that divorce. We Sometimes we go through these issues and we don't understand it. We are in tears, we're crying, we're in pain, we're enslaved, and we're, uh, we're going through all the natural emotions. But God sees and knows the direction. And that's the kind of God that we serve. He is an amazing God. He does not leave us. He doesn't forsake us. And if we trust him, he will bring us through. And so when we see in the book of Esther, we see very carefully that this woman, she decided that she, if whatever she goes through, she, if she has to perish, she has to perish. There is this, this, uh, this writer, um, he says, I disapprove of what you say but I will defend to death your right to say it. Profound. He may he disapprove. I may disapprove of your life. I may disapprove of your direction. Right? I may disapprove of all of these things, but one thing that we that we see that's very, very clear is that we serve a God that defends your choice. He defends your choice, and he wants you to make your choice. That there may be consequences. You understand? Now, I'm going to give you some quotes. I'm going to put it all together, and you're going to see where I'm going. Now, one of the things, when we look at the structure of the book of Esther, um, some of you may not understand. The book of Esther is a very interesting book. It's the only book in the Bible that does not have the word God in it. It has no... It does not have a reference or the name God, Jesus, or anything in it. It's, it's the book is written in a protective way, if, if you understand, right? It, it was it, it was a book that was written at the region that uh, this king uh, Hasuerus reigned was from India to Ethiopia, and he was the monarch. He was the king of that entire region. He was a powerful man. And you've got to understand that within the context of what happened, you had the book, the, the book of Esther is about a Jewish young girl marrying into royalty. If you remember the book of Esther, what it talked about, it was about this drunkard king that ordered his beautiful wife Vashti to come unto him. She wanted to show, he wanted to show Vashti off to all the other monarchs all his friends, and she refused to come. She says, no way, king, I'm not coming. I'm not going to parade, be paraded all about. I will not come. And he implored her to come. He sent his servants, and she did not come, and Vashti was sent away. She was banished. Now, one thing that we have to see from this book, as we see how this book develops, so Vashti now, the king divorces her, or they're separated, or she's no more, and he meets a queen. And so this king now does not understand that God is working through him. He doesn't understand that this situation that Vashti is going through, there is a divine appointment in this whole mix. Sometimes God removes and he moves someone out of the way to bring in someone else. 
I don't know how God does it. It's not his ideal, but he does it. Because we see in this book that Vashti now, she is out of the way, and now the king, after mourning the loss of his wife, he's looking for a wife. And so in, in chapter 2 now, we see that there is this search. There is a, 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 an edict that is sent out. He is looking for all the beautiful women right across right across the area from, from India to Ethiopia. And there are very beautiful women that reign in that area. Isn't that right? Even to this day, right? Praise the Lord. Amen? And I want to say that most of you that's here, you're from that region, or your, 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 your genealogy goes back there. Amen? Come on, guys. You should be proud of your history. Amen? And so the king, just imagine that the king now, he sent out this edict, and he, the king is here, and he's asking for all the beautiful single women to stand. I want to see all the beautiful single women stand. Praise the Lord. You see that? You see that? You see that? Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. You know, something, one of the things, and I'm, 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 I did this for a reason, right? Many of you don't know of your beauty. Right? Many of you don't even think you're that beautiful. I want to have all the women stand. All the single women stand up. Stand up. Young and old, stand up. Stand up. Amen. Stand up. There is a message in this whole thing, right? You are modern day Esther's. You see, Esther did not think that she was all that. But the scripture said that she was beautiful to look upon. Amen? You know, some women are still sitting there. I don't know why. You know. One of the problems that we face here within society is that we have a very low self-esteem, right? We tell ourselves that we are too old, right? We tell ourselves that we don't have what it takes, right? But I'm telling you, when God chooses you, you never know what God is about to do and what God can do in your life. And the story of Esther is a story telling you that you can do it that you can accomplish, amen? And so you may not be able, you may not have that degree now. God can use you to become that doctor so-and-so. You may not be um, in, have that job right now. God will use you. He will bring you to heights that you will never imagine. He will lead you to write a book. He will lead you in different ways that you can never imagine. And so whenever there is a command by the king to stand up, pretty woman, stand up, praise the Lord, amen, and declare. Let's give them a hand. Amen, amen. You know, we're in this kind of culture, and the book of Esther has this theme. We're in this kind of culture where we, we think ourselves so small. We think ourselves, we're just a slave, as Esther was. You know, the king would not be interested in me, right? I cannot, I cannot, you know, I can never go out with this kind of guy. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, when I was in school, I was the, I was the, the counselor type. I would be this guy 
that I grew up among women, so I know a lot of women issues, right? I, it's just happened, right? I, I heard women talking about their issues, talking about how, you know, what they feel and all of these there. And so in school, in high school, I used to just, you know, talk to some of these girls and they said, man, I wish I, or I wish I could grow up with Brad. You know, Brad is the captain of the football team and Brad is big and muscular and everything and he's handsome, but oh boy, but he would not take any notice of me, right? And so they wouldn't even think themselves, put themselves in that light. And I've seen the same thing with guys too, right? But we're talking about the women, right? And so we see this, this whole thing we, we have a tendency that we can only go thus far, right? When God doesn't want us to think in this way. I think God wants us to know that who we are, that we are a child of the king. He wants us to know that we are princess. He wants us to know that we are prince. He wants us to know that the earth is the Lord and we are followers of the Lord. And so we need to claim what is God's and what is rightfully ours, amen? And so what I'm talking about, this is also a message on self-esteem. God wants us to walk like millionaires. You ever seen a millionaire walk, right? They don't care, some of them don't care even how they dress, right? I remember I just came from, uh, I was in a, a place where a lot of rich Christians gather, right? And I remember there was this man, I won't call his name, right but this man was so rich i mean he owned banks he owned banks and we embarked on this crusade in montreal and our crusade was a hundred thousand dollars this was the budget of the crusade and this is a big crusade and the conference they were crying because of the uh, you know the amount of money that was pumped into this crusade mark finley was going to be the the, the, the preacher and all of that, and I was in charge of the advertisement, and I had $30,000 to advertise this crusade. And I was saying, well, I think we need a little more because we gotta fill a stadium that's about uh, 4,000 people, you know, and, and we, we gotta get this thing going. And so while we were going through this plan, there was this man that Mark Finley knew personally, and he heard about the campaign, and he came to Montreal personally to see what was being done. And this man, he came in, and the, the man was just dressed in just regular, you know, clothes, you know, shorts, and came in first like that, and his son, and they were just, you know, comfortable. You know, they were comfortable in their skin. They knew who they were, right? And they were Christians, Adventist Christians. And this man he looked and he says, well, you know, I see potential in this crusade. And this man sang about $300,000. He said, I see your 100,000 and I'm gonna triple it. $300,000 in this campaign. Needless to say, we baptized over 400 people. I mean, uh, the, it was a blessing. It was a blessing. So I, I came from this week, I was at this conference in, in, uh, in Washington. We 
the, the, all the black leaders from across Montreal, uh, Montreal across, uh, get Montreal out of my vocabulary, right? All across the United States, they gathered and they were talking about different issues. But right after that, they had the ASI meeting, and you have some wealthy, wealthy Christians gathered. And you should see these people. They're coming in, and they're staying in some of these, you know, 10-star hotels and all of that. Really wealthy. And I, and, I, and I started looking at this, and I'm saying, look at some of these people. These guys are very wealthy, and they know they're wealthy. They're educated and all of that. While some of us that are not so wealthy, right, that's driving that beat up old Toyota, right, and we, we think ourselves so low, not realizing that God has a goal for our lives. He has a mission for our lives. He has a He has a journey for us to pass through, and we need to believe in ourselves. We need to believe in all that God has in store for us. Esther was a woman like that. And so she had to go through this battle, and her uncle was telling her, her uncle Mordecai said, Esther, I have a plan. I want you to go, and I want you to, you are going to be among those that will go. Perhaps you will be chosen, because the uncle knew that she was beautiful. But Esther was, I'm not going to leave you, uncle, and you know the rest of the story. She was chosen. Read the book of Esther. It's a wonderful read. And she was chosen. And as she was chosen, she became that, that this, this woman that we know. She was chosen for a purpose and for a divine mission. And as we see here, the book of Esther gives us a very good detailed um, breakdown on this. And I'll share this with you if any of you want to see this afterwards. But one of the things that we see in the book of Esther, Esther is a book of, of prayer. It's a book of faith. It says four things. Let us keep in mind. God hears our prayers. Amen? God heeds our prayers, and God answers our prayer. God delivers by prayer, right? And that's by Yvonne. And so what we got to understand is that God is there for us. We have a lady that wrote this in 1905. Obedience to God is liberty from the thraldom of sin. A deliverance from human passion and impulse. Men may stand conquered by himself, conquered of his own inclination, conquered of principalities and power, and of the rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. This may happen, but I want you to understand, God, when we obey God, there is liberty. Amen? There is freedom. There is freedom. And so we got to understand, to abandon the true value of uh, value, one can, be, uh, one can be costly, right? But you and your father's family will perish. To abandon these values, the value of whether it be love, truth, right conduct, peace, no violence. To abandon these, 
things, right, can be very costly. But you and your father's family will perish. I picked this up from my former conference president, Dragon Steranovich, and he was talking about this whole idea that you could have all these wonderful values here listed, right? And you choose that, listen, I'm going to break up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, listen to uh, the way that uh, the, 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 those that brought me up. I'm not going to, I'm going to forsake the way that I that I came through. I, I'm going to I'm going to just break up and break loose. Have you ever felt this sometimes that you're in a situation and you just say, "Well, let me just let my ear down." You know what I mean? Uh, let Let me just let loose. You're on vacation and say, "Well, you know, let me just drink this and loosen up a bit." Amen. I know some of you guys, some people don't have problems drinking anything, right? You drink, you drink water and you drink the spirits as well, right? It's no problem, right? You see, people are just, you know when people are giving you this stare, you know, like, they don't want to, they don't want to say like, you know, uh, you know, when we, when, you know, when you get in that situation where we, we compromise, right? And, and, and you have the, the spirits in front of you, and you, just, well, you know, a little wine for the stomach's sake, right? It's all right, right? I know what it is, and so I'm talking to you people. We get to the point where, at times, we abandon these values, right? We abandon these values. And, what it does, it costs in the next generation. Why is my son and my daughter like this? Why is it that this is happening to me? And we have to point back to you, to certain things that you have done. I have to tell you that I see this and I feel this in my life because there's certain things, there's certain tendency that is down on me because of my wayward grandfather, my womanizing grandfather, right, that was running around and doing his thing, it has passed down on me. And I have to pray, some of you may have to pray one, a, one time a day for whatever issues you're going through. I have to pray seven times a day, right, because of what happened then. And so we got to understand, what happens in this generation is not just isolated to this generation, it affects the next generation, amen? And so we got to understand this now. And so we see here Esther is. A woman came to an important position at the right time. We serve a God of timing. We serve a God that he works things out in his time, in his accordance and everything, and he brings this woman to the throne at the right time. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this, in verse 14, for such a time, you gotta understand that God was doing something. He was preparing a great movement and he brought this woman for such a time as this. Now let me let you know that if it was left up to the elders of the tribe to decide who is gonna bring deliverance, it would not have been done. If it was left up to man, it would not have been done. But God was working 
things out, he was setting up an inside job. He was setting up this woman and she herself did not know. She herself did not have an idea of what God was doing. Mordecai, he didn't know it either. No one knew what God was doing, but God was setting the pieces, everything in place. If I would even say Satan himself did not know it. And so when we understand uh, this story, we see that it's a wonderful story. It's so wonderful that many scholars, modern day, they challenge the, the story of Esther and say it is not a real story. This is a myth. This story is just something that is made of, it's a fairy tale because it is too perfect. Because what we see is that God is working out his time. He removes this other woman. This one comes in. She is now queen. And she is a Christian queen. She is a Jewish queen. She fears God. And when it comes down to making the right choices, he makes the right choice. Because she has her faith in God. And so we got to understand, there's things that may be happening in your life right now. And you don't understand what God is doing. But God is bringing you through a storm because he knows where you are going and where you're destined for. The refining, softening influence of a Christian woman is needed in the great work of preaching the truth. Amen? And Ellen G. White talks about that in page Evangelism, page 472. And so we got to understand, God has his people, and they are here. You are his people, and God has a mission for each and every one of us. Let nobody tell you that you cannot accomplish anything that God has ordained you to do, that God has called you to do. And I didn't use that word ordination, ordained, purposely. I, that just came out, right? Unscripted. <laughs> understand. I'm, I don't want to cause a food fight or debate here, right? It says, when. A great and decisive work is to be done. God chooses men and women to do this work. He chooses what? He chooses who? Men and women to do this work. It, and it will feel the loss if talent, the talent of both, are not combined. They need to be combined. There is a mission that God has in store, and sometimes we question God's mission. We question what God has done in the past. We question the devils that God has put into office. And all of these, we are not to question God. Just let God do his work. Let God's people do his work. Let the gospel be preached. And then the end will come, as we understand. And so we see the crisis that Esther faced demanded quick, earnest action. But both she and Mordecai realized that unless God should work mightily on their behalf, their own efforts will be unavailing. So Esther took time for communion with God, the source of her strength. Folks, I want to bring to you what was happening at this time. Haman, as we know it, this man that that uh, King uh, Saul uh, should have destroyed, 
he should have destroyed the, 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 the whole people. If you remember the story back there, when, when Saul should have destroyed, destroyed all of these, the people of Haman, right? He failed to do that. And Haman came through the generations and came now with this plan to wipe out God's people. There was a death decree for God's people every one of God's people within the area of India to Ethiopia was going to be killed. There was a death decree on all the Jews. All the Jews would have been slaughtered if Haman's plan, read the whole book of Ezra, I don't have to tell you the whole story, they would have been slaughtered. And so we see this queen, this queen that she had a, a choice to make. And she knew that if she should appear before the king, uh, she, she did not see the king for about 30 days. And so if she should appear before the king and, and unannounced and without any permission, immediately she will die. And so Esther had this and she knew this in mind that if she appears, that's it. And so she said those famous words as we read before, if I perish, I perish. I am going to go forth before the, the king. And she's asked for all the people to pray for her. She called on her maidens and all her the women together, and they got together and they prayed for God to lead out in, in what she was about to do, and she went before the king. And as she appeared before the king, the king and everyone was startled, and the king, and when he saw her, he saw that this was his beautiful wife, and he stretched out his scepter and bid her to come. And she went before the king, and she told the king what was happening, that she, there, there is a special feast that she wants to prepare for the king, and she wants to invite the king, and who else? Amen. And so the king and Haman, they were, they were curious to what was happening, but Esther, she was being led by God, and she prepared a feast, and, and Haman thought it was so great. He said, man, this is great. I am being brought before the, even the queen. You know, she's inviting me to come forth, and he doesn't know what God has in store. Haman, at that time, he had built up this gallow to, to hang Mordecai on it, because remember, Mordecai was a man. He was not bowing down. Read the whole book, and I'm imploring you to read the whole book, because I can't tell you the whole story. And so he was imploring uh, Mordecai to bow down, to bow down, and Mordecai said, I bow to no man other than God. And Haman was insulted by that. And as a result of this insult, he cooked up this plan to destroy all the people, all the Jewish people. And so this story, as we see this unfold, he, he goes back and he brags to his wife and his friends that he is going to this feast with the king and so forth. And, and so he has all of this now, and he's setting it up. But while they, in the middle of the night, the king, he had this problem that we call in a modern day insomnia, right? Uh, the king, he somehow he he was just thinking, and he called his 
his, his servant to him and he says, is there anything that I failed to do? Is there anything? And, and, and as they were reading the book, reading the book, they recognized that Mordecai had alerted the king of a plot to kill, a plot that two men were going to kill the king. And he says, have, what have we done for this man? And the servant says, we have done nothing. And the king right away, he called, uh, called for a council, and he called his right-hand man, which was me, Haman. And Haman came before the king, and the king says, well, you know, um, Mr. Haman, uh, you are my best counselor. Uh, if there is one that the king wants a reward for a great task that this man, that one has done, what should be done to this man? And you remember what the king said? What, what Haman said? Haman said, well, you know, um, you need to take the, the robe of the king, right? You need to take the robe of the king, one of the king's choicest robe, and put it on such a man. No, Haman thought it was him, right? So put it on such a man and take the best horse and parade him around, you know, for all the people to see and honor such a man in such a fashion. And the king thought it was a pleasing say. And the king said, okay, Haman, I want you to go and find Mordecai and do this for now, I want to tell you something. When I'm reading this and I'm going through this again, I'm saying, wow, sometimes God sets things up that even that co-worker that was hunting and gunning for your job, right, that co-worker has to pay homage to you and see you receive that promotion, to see you get that raise. You know, that co-worker that was doing all of this garbage and doing all of these things, to he would see you rise. I remember just before, while I was studying, um, I was working at this uh, pharmaceutical uh, factory, and I got to learn to drive a forklift. How many of you guys know to drive a forklift? Where's Brother Adams? He's not here. <laughs> I know. Where, Anissa, did you learn? No, Anissa is not here, right? There's, there, there was a, there's a forklift sometime that's in our yard, right? <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know how to lift up the horse, you know, lift up pallets and everything. I was so excited that I learned to drive a forklift. I was picking up pallets and I was putting it there and everything. And I was favored in this company because what I did, I made sure wherever I worked, I did my job well. And I'm not bragging, but I try, I make sure I was on time. I make sure I do my duties. I was working in a factory. And I wanted to be the best factory worker. Amen? Yeah. Amen to factory workers, right? And so I was working and minding my own business and doing what I should do. And I remember I lifted up my pallets and set things up. And I planned everything, set, cleaned up my area, parked the forklift, and I went home for the day. The next morning, I came in, and my friend Terry told me of this plot this other worker was devising to get me fired. And so I asked him, what happened? And he says, well, this guy, Ron, he told the boss that you lifted some pallets, some empty pallets, and you blocked the way. And, and so it was a hazard uh, to all the other employees because these pallets could have fallen over and all of that. 
And he said that you did it, but Terry said, I know you didn't do it because I know you. And I said, this is my Seychelles Wars friend. And he told me this, I said, really? And you know, he's, Terry says, what are you gonna do? And I told Terry, I'm not gonna do anything about it. The Lord pricked my mind at that moment. And what I said to Terry, I didn't even understand. I said, I bet you by the end of this week, this guy's not gonna be around. Because what I realized, something, and I realized this early, Whenever you mess around with a child of God, whenever you touch a child of God, whenever you lie against a child of God, whenever you try to manipulate or pull down a child of God, you are not fighting against a child of God. You're fighting against God himself. And so I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't know where it was going to come from or how swift it was. This happened, I think it was on a Tuesday. And by Thursday morning, this big guy, Ron, came in and he's saying hello to everyone and he's pulling up his pants with his big beer belly, jiggling around and all of that. And then I, I heard the, the announcement over the PA. Ron, come to the office. Went into the office, went upstairs, and, and went into the office. And immediately, I see this guy burst out of the office, slamming everything and all of that. Went to his locker, took his stuff, stuffed it in his bag, and like a storm, left. And I said, what happened? And someone said, he was fired. And I said, what? He was fired? And you know what happened? He was fired for something unrelated, but he was found out that very, and others came and said, did you say that? I said, I said, I want you to know God takes care of his people. And I saw this as a testimony of what God can do, amen? God is a powerful God. Now I have to wrap this up and bring this in and bring my points. I want you to understand, so Haman, was set up right now. He came to the feast and, and he was bragging to all his people that he's going to feast. I'm going to the feast with the queen and the king. And I, I, I'm, I'm so honored. I, I, I'm Mr. Suave. I, I, I have all the money. I have this. And we're going to wipe out all the Jewish people. And, and he's all, he's, he thinks that he was all that. And you know the rest of the story. Went to the feast and the king couldn't even eat. He says, Esther, what is it that you want me to do? I will give you even half of my kingdom. Just, you know, tell me what it is. I love you so much. You're such a wonderful and a beautiful queen. And Haman is there looking and wondering, and he was probably saying, but I want, to, I want you to do this or so on, or promote Haman, or I don't know, but the fact that Haman was there, he thought he was involved in the plot, and he was. Right? But he thought he was going up, right? <laughs> and so God just basically, he was just lingering and waiting for this plan to unfold. And Esther said, I want you to spare my life, O king. What do you mean by that? I want you to spare my life and my people, O king. I want you to understand. And I'm going to stop here. Satan's aim 
is to bring destruction to God's people. His aim is to destroy your family. His aim is to find a way to destroy your church. If, if it's not a gunman coming in the church to shoot the church up, he will cause individuals from among us to wipe each other up, gossiping and all kinds of things. Families feuding against others so that the church will go down. Satan's aim is to destroy society, to, for you to lose confidence in your leaders. All of these things. He is trying to bring confusion and destruction. That's his aim. It's all about destruction. And so we see Esther here in this myth. She is appealing for her life and for her people, and the king doesn't understand. And so the king is saying, Esther, make it play. And so Esther says, I, I want you to spare my life because this Haman, he wants to take my life, the queen's life, and her people. And the, queen, the king says, what? How could this be? The king got up in anger and he walked out on the, on the veranda or, or patio to consider what was going on. And this is a wise king. And as he was pondering what was happening, Haman, he knew that he was found out. And, and Haman ran over to her and, and was on the very couch that she was in. And the king now came back inside and saw this Haman near the queen, you don't have to, you know, just near the queen, and he says, what? And the king just gave his sign. A bag was put over Haman's head. Read the rest of the story. And it says the servant, the servant that came in said to the king, there is a yellow that is built up in Haman's property for Mordecai. You know, these servants, these servants, they knew what was happening. They, these guys knew behind the scene and they just told the king. And the, the king says, hang him on that. And the very gallow that the enemy of God had established to wipe out the, the, the people of God, which was representing Mordecai first, he hung on you read the rest of the story, and the, even the, the edict that was sent out, the, the king could not reverse it, but he gave the Jewish people the right to defend themselves. And I believe the number was about 75,000 of these, uh, their enemies died, and the Jewish people were spared, and we have the word of God today. I want you to understand, folks. There, there is an enemy that from the beginning of time, Revelation chapter 12, from the beginning of time, his aim is to bring discord among the brethren. He wants to destroy God's people. And so we see the Bible is a catalog of this. There is a, a fight over good and evil, and it seems that always good always wins. Good always wins. God's people are always here. Yes. There have been some death and all of that, but we see God's mission is advancing, advancing. And we see the Haman of this world, they're trying to 
work with the devil, align themselves with the devil to bring destruction. But over and over, what we see is God's mission always comes through. And when we read at the back of the book, God, he will win. He will win, right? But I want you to understand, I want to bring hope to you and understand here. I'm just going to jump through here. We have within our world today, individuals, we have the amen of this world. And this is going to be controversial to you, right? To some of us. We have the hanging of this world. They are preaching prosperity. They're telling you, you gotta, you got to work on your kingdom, your palace down here. Build up your kingdom. And they're trying to tell you all of these things. They're trying to tell you, hey, listen, God's Sabbath, it doesn't have to be kept. You know, you could keep Sabbath any day. But God says, this is my word. And God says, I will change not. God has given his ten commandments. He tells them, thou shall not bow down to any graven images. But some of these individuals are bowing down to graven images. They want people to idolize them. I want to bring this, and I know it's going to be conflict, bringing a conflict, but I'm preaching exactly what it is. What I want you to understand, folks, you know, we got to understand and apply this right. I know that if God, if Satan is going to deceive you, he will deceive you with a lot of truth. But it has to sprinkle some lies in it. Right? And so you have these Sunday circuit teachers, evangelists, going around these silver tongue orators. They're telling you, hey, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. I was so disgusted a few years ago when this guy, I really admired him, or admired him, and T.D. Jakes did a, a, a great study on the Sabbath. And he was saying, oh, boy, he would dog the Sabbath. Just Google it and read it. It's well documented. Brought up some all kind of false theories on the Sabbath. And I said, how could an intelligent man do that? And it's interesting, you go through all of these guys. They have a lot of truths. People send me emails, videos, and everything, and all that, you know. But when you check it out, when you boil it down, there, there is a, a, a group, uh, there is a concerted effort, and that's the exact word, concerted effort of individuals that are preparing our minds to rebel against the law of God, to rebel against the dictates of God. And God is telling us this is the way, but they're telling you, you know, there are many other ways for you to enter heaven. But Jesus is saying, there's only one way, and this is by me. And the way that I live, you should live according to the way I live, you will get there. But I want you to understand that these individuals, they're getting rich off the people of the land. Uh, these individuals are living in 10 houses and driving in all of these private planes and telling their people to give me $300 you know, a month to help me to have my plane so I can fly around in luxury. What I'm telling you, false prophets of this world, and I could go through and just itemize different things, but these individuals, many of these individuals, this is just a list, and the sad thing about it, we have some among us within our fold, and they are preaching and teaching and living the prosperity life. And I do believe in prosperity in Christ. 
not through the bag, right? Not through popularity or whatever it is. I'm talking about individuals in this manner. So you gotta understand what I'm saying here. We see the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, lukewarm. It says God will vomit you, spew you out of his mouth. Prosperity gospel. Why wait for heaven to get to get your mansion when you could have it here on earth? And this is what some people, they're going to have their mansion on earth, but they will not see the mansion in heaven. They will burn in the mansion here on earth. And so we're going to understand, we see now a system, and this is where the rubber meets the road, sister. This is where the rubber meets the road. The rubber meets the road in a very interesting way, where we see a system, a concerted system, in the world to deceive us. You talk about Haman in Esther, we have modern day Hamans right now. They're building up gallows for you who worship on Sabbath. They are building up a system right now where they will be restricting true worship. And if it, it is their way or the highway, the Pope is coming to town in September. And as it is, he's going to have audience with our President Obama. He's going to have audience with our Senate. He's going to be having audience with our judicial branch. Right? They're going to be coming in. They're going to be meeting with him. He's going to be having audience. He is even making special invitation to some of our top celebrities to meet him in, in the Vatican. Right? This Pope is on a full court press to get things done. He's one of the busiest Pope this world has ever seen. He is the only Jesuit Pope. And if you don't know what a Jesuit is, look it up. I am telling you what's happening. We see a system right now that is taking place where it seems that God's people, there is a great setup. There is a great setup right now where God's people, if we are not awake, if we are not alert, I wish I had my the other um, this other slide, but the Pope just recently put it uh, made uh, this 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 statement that we do not need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, if you don't believe me, visit my Facebook page, right? We don't need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You, you, can, you cannot make it on your own. You need the church. In a sense, you need him to survive. You need the Pope to make it to heaven. You need the bishop. You need that system, that ecclesiastical system to make it. There's a Haman effect that is taking place right now in this world. The Hamans of the world, the false prophets of the world, they are going beaming back and forth. And some of you, I know, it is uncomfortable. You, it's, it's, I'm speaking against another religion. I'm speaking against another people. You should not do this, Pastor, but I'm telling you, read the Bible. Read the Bible. If you look with me in Revelation chapter um, chapter 12, verse 17. 
Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. I'm going to bring this to a close. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. And what we see very clearly from the, this scripture, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, and it says, and the dragon was wrath with who? The woman represents what? The church. The, the true church of God, right? The dragon was wrath with the woman, just like the dragon was wrath and was angry with Esther and her people. I'm bringing a little typology in this too, for you to understand. The dragon was wrath with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which did what? Keep what? Keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so what we gotta understand, this dragon, who is the dragon? The devil. He was angry and he was wrought. And why? He knows that his time is running out. He is angry. And so he went to he's going to make war. Went to make war now. And so as he's making war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Folks. This is the time we're in now. When we talk about the, the Pope is on a full court press, this happened in Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, but I want you, for your homework, go and study and digest Revelation chapter 13. Because Revelation chapter 13 tells you of these two great superpowers. One represents the papal beast, which is the papacy. The Pope is the head of it. One represents America, which we know that our government is the head of that, and they're going to come together, and they are going to bring such a persecution on this world that this world has never seen before. And so if you think that you have a time of peace, watch out. But I want you to know that in spite of all of this, God has an Esther. He has somebody on the inside. He has uh, individuals on the inside that Satan doesn't even know where it's coming from, but he knows that he will lose, but he don't know how he's going to come, but he's going to lose. And God has an Esther. He has someone that is there that is interceding, that is going to be there to stay the course. He has an Esther that is going to be there to intercede for the people. And God is going to bring deliverance upon his people. And I want you to know that those that believe and are under the banner of the truth is the Esther. And it's the woman. The woman, the true church, the Bible of Bible prophecy, the remnant of Bible prophecy will be the ones that will go through in spite of persecution. If we perish, we perish. But we gotta stand up for the truth. And so folks, we gotta understand what's happening. I know this is a tough one, but I want you to understand fundamentally, this man cannot bring you to heaven. He will not, he is a popular pope. He's a popular pope. Everyone loves the Pope. He is saying the right thing. The young people, he is a hip Pope. He, everyone loves him. Even babies love him. <laughs> but church, it is time for us to stand up and be aware. My aim for this, I couldn't tell you everything, but I'm saying, church, it is time for us to step up. Yes. 
if you want to know where to study and what to start studying, start reading the book of Revelation. If you want to start specifically, read Revelation chapter 12, 13, and 14, and read the teams going onward. But there's a book that I want to recommend and certify. If you don't have a copy of it, I will make sure you get a copy of it. It's the great controversy. You read that book, it tells you what is happening because way back this was prophesied and we are seeing it unfold right before our eyes. And I'm not being an alarmist, but I am being an alarmist. <laughs> Let me declare that. Yes, I am. Sound the alarm. God is calling us to the love and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, this word, it is because there is no light in them. Church, crisis, global warming, crime, shooting, church shooting, theater shootings. I used to say that, you know, the reason why we don't go to theaters, right, is because of the environment and everything. And I grew up not going to theaters, and I still can't go to theaters and all of this. And the reason why we don't this and that, but listen now. Everyone's going to a theater now, they're looking, anybody has a bulge or whatever. If someone coughs, right, they're going to theaters in fear, right? We are living in this world right now where all of these things are happening. It was prophesied. Read Revelation, read Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, uh, Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 13. It tells you. Understand, these things were prophesied and we're seeing it. Time is winding 